What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me, as always, on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And I don't have to tell you guys this. We all know it. It's Georgia, Florida week, and we have our cocktail party edition of the Listener Mailbag for you guys today. And as always is the case, I mean, you guys just sent in some awesome questions, a wide array of pretty awesome questions today. So we will answer them to the best of our mediocre ability here on the show. But first, just a couple quick things for you guys. If you're newer to the show, we seem to be getting new listeners each and every week. So if that happens to be you, you guys can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show and on the team and really everything in between. So do not be shy there. You can also email us those thoughts to the Glory UGA podcast at gmail.com uh, email account. Again, that is gloryujpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, you can also find us on a bunch of different podcasting platforms out there. Hopefully there's a platform that is easy for you guys to access. It's kind of your preferred way to listen to the show. So for some of your newer guys, obviously you found us somewhere, somehow. Um, but just a heads up that we're out there on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, and TuneIn apps. We're also on dollarsforceradio.com where Curtis and I got started a couple years back. You can also download that app from your app store, the uh, Dog Sports Radio app, and all of our shows are uploaded there as soon as they are ready to go. So please find us on whatever works best for you guys. I do also want to quickly say, guys, I know we say this a lot, but I just want to make sure we put it out there for some of our newer listeners. We really do appreciate you guys taking time out of your day to listen to us. I know there's a lot of different options for you guys out there to listen to, and I know there's only so much time in the day. You've got a finite amount of time. So uh, we really do appreciate you guys choosing us, listening to us. We try to make it worth your while. I'm sure we don't always hit that standard, but we try our best. So thank you very much for taking time to listen to us. We really do appreciate that support. We would not have a show if it was not for you guys. So definitely props to all of you out there listening today. Um, and also it would be great. Uh, we do appreciate you listening, clearly. But it would be great also if you had get a chance. I know time is precious, but if you get a chance to rate and review the show on your preferred platform, whether that's iTunes, SoundCloud, whatever it is, that would really uh, help the show out as we continue to try to grow and bring you guys more and even better content uh, months and hopefully even years down the road. So that would be awesome if you guys get a chance. We would sincerely appreciate that. But let's go ahead and get into today's show. We all, like I said, we only have so much time here to cover today. Uh, it's going to be a somewhat of an abbreviated show. Uh, try to get through as many questions as we possibly can. Unfortunately, I have some things I got, some personal things I got to take care of today. Uh, so we're going to have to kind of cut it a little bit shorter than we normally would here on the mailbag show. I do apologize for that here at the outset guys, but I wanted to at least give you as much content as we could today, even though it might be a little bit shorter than normal, but we will be back. I promise on uh, Thursday with a full preview show and uh, we do our best. You guys know to try to give you the most comprehensive breakdown of each and every game as we possibly can. Again, we probably fall short of that standard, but we try our best to give you as comprehensive a breakdown as you will find out there. But without, any further ado, let's go ahead and dig into these questions, Kurt. Uh, and we're going to start with one that I think is, is a really interesting question. And I've, I've been holding off thinking about this because as you, when you're early in the season, though we were undefeated for a while. They were still undefeated, obviously. But early in the season, you're like, okay, got a lot of games left to play here. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of that's left out in front of us here down the stretch. But now we're getting past the halfway point here. We've got a big game, obviously, this weekend. Got Really, every game from here on is a big game. But we're seven and zero right now, and people are starting to think about playoffs, and and I think that's that's justified at this point. We have a lot of ball left to play, clearly, but we put ourselves in a really good position here. So, Kurt, the first question is from Ben, uh, and it's something I, I'm really serious. About. I've been thinking about this myself lately. And Ben asks, "Do you think we have the best resume of the top 
four rated teams. Curtis, I'm going to let you take that one first, man. Do we have the best resume out there right now? Um, As of right now, yes, because right now we have a top 10 win um, with Notre Dame being in the top 10 at the moment. Um, you got to think Alabama, you know, the Florida State win was looking good at first until, you know, their season. Florida State's been... not going to go to a bowl. They're not going to go to exactly. a bowl. Exactly. Their season's looking terrible. And right now, Penn State, their non-conference was an absolute joke. I mean, playing Georgia State and Pittsburgh and teams like that. And then right now, their best win is, I mean, Iowa, maybe. Yeah, a two-point win on the road at Iowa. I mean, TCU has a good win over Oklahoma State at the moment. But like I said, right now, Notre Dame is ahead of TCU, so our win looks better. Well, they're ahead Um, of Oklahoma State, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah I, I mean, honestly, like, I know we're going to sound like homers here. This is Georgia's podcast, and here we are saying Georgia's the best resume. So, you obviously, just, just, just disregard us as, as just complete homers. And whatever, you can do that if you want. But Yeah, I mean, it, it, to me, it really just came down to, the, you know, the top ten win. And not only that, but so far in conference, I mean, we've beaten every opponent by 20 points. Yes, we have. Look, and you, you said there just a second ago. Right now, of the top four teams, and, my, and, and TCU's win over, over Oklahoma State's a close one. But I still think we have the best win, period, of those top four teams, in my opinion. And that has yeah, to matter for something. They have to take into account that was uh, Jay Fromm's very first start also. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're, we're bringing him along with baby steps there. I think we played that game you know, last week. We might win that game by two touchdowns. Maybe. I mean, Notre Dame's a good football team. I said that at the time. They were a good football team. We didn't just beat some some average grits team. They were a good team, and they've shown them. They have a, they have a really tough stretch ahead of them. Really, it started last week with USC, but then you got NC State and you got Miami down the stretch. You still got, I mean, Wake Forest is a decent team. Navy with the triple option is always a tough thing to defend. And Navy's pretty good this year. So got Stanford in the schedule. So they got a lot of ball up in front of them, but that Notre Dame team is a legit program right now. Uh, I'm with you, though, Kerb. I, I think you can, with a straight face, you can sit here and say that, yes, we have the best resume of the current top four AP-rated teams. I mean, I... Coming into the season, we were it, it was said we had the toughest schedule. Yeah, I mean, as of well, coming into last week, we had uh, and I, I don't know how it's changed since last week, but coming into last week, we had the number one strength of schedule in the country. So this this whole idea that Georgia hasn't played anybody, I mean, Notre Dame is doing their job or doing their best to put it into that conversation. But this this idea that we haven't played anyone you hear you know our SEC rivals say that, I mean, it's just sour grapes. But that's just ridiculous. It's just ridiculous if you look at the schedule ratings, uh, but. If you're looking at the other top four teams, the other three teams in the top four, I think we definitely have a better resume than Alabama. I don't think it's close. Is that fair? Yeah, just because of how bad Florida State ended up. Right. If you look at it just based on what's gone down this year, Alabama has beaten really – I mean, they haven't really beaten anybody. Okay, they beat A&M. A&M is their best win. The team that's put up the most points on them wasn't even a Power 5 team. Yeah, Colorado State. Absolutely. I mean, A&M at A&M – is their best win right now. And that's a game that, I mean, they, they had that game in control for most of the game. The final score uh, was closer than what the game really was. But and Alabama's been really good. I'm not serious saying Alabama's not a good football team. They're probably better than us. Probably. But if you're looking at resume, what's happened on the field, we have a better resume than them. And, and here's what's happened with Alabama. Here's why they're number one. I mean, they're getting the benefit of the doubt, right? They're getting the benefit of the doubt based on their past decade of dominance, which... I have an issue with. Do you have a problem with that? I think it's asinine if you have Alabama ranked number one because you say, well, they've been good for so long. We, we've seen them do it in the past. It's not about what happened in the past. You have to be able to separate that. You have to have the intellectual capacity to separate Alabama in the past 
eight or nine years in Alabama this year. Are they still good? Yes, but they simply have not accomplished as much as we have or TCU, maybe even Penn State at this point. Would you agree? Oh, probably. I just, I mean, is, am I crazy there? Like, do you really give them a benefit of the doubt just based on what they've done in the past? Is that why they're ranked number one? Does that justify it? I mean, it's the hype around the Alabama machine right now. But, I mean, when it comes to the But numbers, voters have to be smarter than that. I mean, and maybe it depends on how you're voting, okay? Because some people look at, okay, I'm going to vote on based on who has the best resume, who's done the most to this point. Some people look at it and say, well, I'm just looking at who I think's the best team, independent of what they've done out there. If, if all things are equal in terms of all four of those teams being undefeated, I'm going to look at who I think is the best team. And if you're looking at it that way, then I think you can maybe have an argument that Alabama uh, should be number one because they they probably are the best team in the country. I think that that's a very fair thing to say. But if you're looking at it from a resume standpoint. I don't think you can sit here and say Alabama has the best resume, regardless if they're undefeated. I know they've beaten teams senseless, but there's been a couple close games. Colorado State was not a complete blowout, like you said. They scored the most points in Alabama. Um, A&M was not a complete blowout. But, I mean, they're really good, but I think it just depends on— It's their only true road game, too. Yeah, it is. Right now, it's their only true road game. You're right. So it just depends on how you look at it. I think you've probably got to balance the two, balance the resume versus the eye test and who I think the best team is, but— Based on resume, if the question is, do we have the best resume of the top four rated teams? I think we definitely have a better resume in Alabama. Penn State right now, you knew this was going to happen. They're getting a lot of love after that Michigan win. Kurt, my question for you is, how good is Michigan? They are a joke. I mean, they what, Indiana takes them to overtime. Uh, they really just got lucky and escaped quite a few games. I mean, with Wilton Spade out now, everybody thought John Corn was going to be the answer for them at quarterback, and he was the better guy anyway. It's just, you know, it's, it's actually a blessing in disguise that Wilton Spade got hurt. That hasn't turned out to be the case. Uh, he, he's been worse than Wilton Spade. And, like, to me, uh, Mick, would, is, is Michigan Penn State's best win? Uh, I actually think it may be. I mean, Iowa's four and three. Iowa just lost to Northwestern. Yeah, Iowa, I think is their best win right now. My team. Yeah, they won on the road at Iowa at night. It was a four and three team, and you got Michigan, who's now two loss. Michigan's at least a four loss team because they still got to play. They still have to play at Wisconsin, and they still got to play Ohio State. Fourth in the Big Ten East. Yeah, they probably will. Yeah, because they've already already lost Michigan State or Michigan State. To me, and and tell me if I'm out of line here. Okay, yes, Penn State beats Michigan. Oh, great, you got a national stage. Good for you. It's a nice win. They won by a lot. They dominated that game. Sure, but to me. Michigan is the equivalent to Mississippi State right now. Is really is Michigan right now any different than Mississippi State? Not right now, no. No, I mean I know it's the Michigan brand, the Michigan name, so they have the cachet. Beat LSU. Yeah, they they have the cachet, but miss they're no better than Mississippi State. Right, in fact, if Michigan played Mississippi State right now, Michigan has a better defense. Mississippi State, I mean Michigan, Michigan can't score. I think Mississippi State might beat them or at least give them a game. So all I'm saying is like, look, if you look at okay, Penn State just beat a two loss team. By, by a wide margin at home. We beat a two-loss team, Mississippi State, by a wide margin at home. How I don't see how the, the I don't think there's that much of a gap between Michigan and Mississippi State this year. So if you call on that Penn State's best win, potentially that or Iowa, who's a four and three team that just lost to uh, Northwestern, who's four and three also, and we have a top ten win on our schedule, we're, we clearly, in my opinion, have a better resume than Penn State. Now TCU though is like, and you mentioned this, they're the closest competing to us on a, on a pure resume front, right? Yeah, I mean they have a two touchdown victory on the road in Stillwater against the the Oklahoma Cowboys. They also have a touchdown win over number twenty two West Virginia. But I'm not sold that West Virginia is really a, a top twenty five yeah, team. Yeah, West Virginia almost blew it to Baylor. Yeah, I mean if you look at four of their games, four of their wins, West Virginia against East Carolina, Delaware State, Kansas, and Baylor, those four teams 
have a combined four wins. And they almost lost to Baylor. They they beat Baylor by two points. And Baylor is 0-7, if you guys haven't been paying attention. And Kansas put over 500 yards of offense. And we saw Kansas got... Uh, TCU held Kansas to 21 yards, whereas West Virginia gave up 500-plus yards of offense to Kansas. So I know you, you got a top 22 win over West Virginia, but how good is West Virginia? And then you got... If you're comparing TCU to us and resumes here, TCU, yeah, they beat Kansas State by 20. Good for them. It's a good win. But Kansas State lost to Vanderbilt, who we then beat by 31 on the road. So I think outside of the, the us having a top 10 win over Notre Dame, TCU having a top 10 win over Oklahoma State, I think it's a pretty uh, a, I think it's a pretty similar resume outside of those two top 10 wins. And I just think Notre Dame is a better win than winning at Oklahoma because if you think about the fact that we had a tr- or at Oklahoma State, if you think about it, we had like you mentioned, we had a true freshman quarterback in his first road start. All the media hype around that game. I, I'm just and, and maybe you can call me a homer too. I don't care, whatever. I'm just gonna take it here and I say TCU is close, but I think we have the best resume. I'll stick with that. All right, next question here. Let's go ahead and move on. Got a couple uh, Justin Fields questions. It seems like we cannot have a mailbag show without Justin Fields questions. I think people are a little bit excited about him being in red and black next year. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So, Endure Inspire, he's first up here on the Fields train. Appreciate the question, man. He says uh, that now that Fields is hurt, do the odds of Eason staying go up or stay the same for 2018? Kurt, how would you answer that? They completely stay the same. I mean, it's a it's a 12-week surgery. He's going to expect to make a full recovery. I mean, if he was in roll early, he's still able 100% go for uh, spring practice. I mean, yeah. it doesn't change any of that. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a bad break. I mean, if you um, the yeah, I mean, if you've seen the X ray, right, it was making its rounds out there. So if you've seen the X ray, if not, I mean, if you're not queasy, pull up Justin Fields' broken finger X ray. You can see like it's not like a hairline fracture. So like sometimes you have like when I I've broken like just about every finger on my hands, barely hanging on. Right, like my when I've broken my fingers, like hairline fractures. Right, I mean, it's just it's it's broken, but it's not really broken. It's just kind of it hurts a lot. But this one, like you're right, he's barely hanging on. Like his, his finger like fell off is what it looks like if you look at the x-ray. So it is a bad break, but it's not like an ACL kind of thing, right? You, you bones heal up. It's a, like you said, about 12-week recovery. Uh, so he should, if, he, if he chooses to enroll early, he should be fine. So I don't think it really changes anything with the equation for next year at all. I really don't. Uh, and I know it's on his throwing hand, which is concerning. But again, I, I would take a broken finger, even a bad broken finger like that, over an ACL, right? Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's a 12-week. I mean, he's only got a cast for six weeks, and the rest is just rehab. Yeah, and Jonathan had another question. appreciate the question, Jonathan, about that. He said, are you worried about the Fields injury at all? Sounds like you're not really worried. I mean, no. I mean, it, he's expected to, you know, he's not going to do anything else that could, you know, really harm it, like play running back, like as a rumor that was going around at first. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think they're doing it the right way, taking care of it, just go ahead and get in the surgery, putting it in the cast and rehabbing. I mean, they're doing it the right way, which makes me feel more confident. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, it's never, you never want a guy to suffer any injury, let alone an injury where it looks like his finger fell off. But, and yes, it is on his throwing hand, but broken bones, uh, they're, they're, Pretty common. I mean, as bad as the break as it was, it looks like 12 weeks and he should be good to go. He should be fine. I don't think it's going to hold him back much at all. I mean, he might be a little rusty coming in the spring if he decides to enroll early. But beyond that, I don't think we have anything to worry about when it comes to the actual 2018 football season and him being able to potentially contend for playing time. I actually think it may drive him more to enroll early because – 
you know, the one thing of not enrolling early was playing his last his his senior season of high school baseball. But with that being the case, can't um, do, can't do he, winter workouts with his baseball team. Yeah, I mean, he, it, with the twelve weeks he's looking at the end of January or middle of the end of January before he's finally done with rehab and everything. And for those of you who don't know, high school baseball starts really the end of January, the beginning of the first week of February, around there. Yeah. So I mean that puts him behind for that so it may give him more of a chance to actually you know enroll early just saying you know i'll be behind for baseball let's just go ahead and get ready for football it's my future that's a great point man i didn't really consider that's a great point Uh, and last justin fields question here today we got from ellis appreciate the question buddy ellis says or asks will justin fields and jake Fromm be used similarly to dj shockley and david green back in the early 2000s kirk could you see a scenario like that play out um, I mean, I guess you could see a scenario, but I have to say, I think Fields is a different player than DJ Shockley. Well, um, I think he's more, a lot more mobile. In that I mean, Shockley aspect. was mobile, but Justin Fields is a different level. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I you know, I, yeah, I heard a lot about Fields, but watching him on TV, he not not only is he athletic and faster than most people, but he's stronger and he's willing to you know ro- lower his shoulder to get those extra yards. Yeah, that's you're and, right. It's an underrated part of his game. He's got a big body type. And not only that, but I also, at, at this point in his game, I think he's a better passer than what Air Shockley was. I mean, most of these quarterbacks nowadays are better going into the freshman year than they were 10, 15 years ago. Well, football is just, offensive football is just different than it was in yeah, 2002. Yeah, I mean, with the 7 on 7s, you have the more elite quarterback training. I mean, you have the lead 11 camps for quarterbacks. There's all these things to get these quarterbacks more more prepared to enroll. Yeah, uh, you're right. It's so all those things, but even just how offenses are run with, R, with the advent of RPOs, with all the different kind of quarterback runs, like the zone read was not a thing really in 2002. I mean, you, you, kind, of, you kind of see the early stage of that with, with West Virginia and Rich, Rod, Rich Rodriguez, sorry there. Uh, but it wasn't really as widespread as it is now. So there's there's just more ways to use a mobile quarterback that has the legs that Justin Fields has. You can just use them a lot of different ways in the passing game with RPOs, which don't necessarily require you to use your legs, but you can't. there are versions of RPOs where legs can become a factor. Auburn runs some of those, or they have in the past. Um, but you have that, and you also have there's a lot of different running looks you can use with a running back. You can quarterback power, you run zone read. There's all sorts of different things you can do that wasn't really as in widespread use in the early 2000s as it is right now. But in terms of whether they'll be used like that, I think it's too hard to tell right now. It's certainly possible, but we just don't. First off, we don't know if Justin Fields is going to roll early. There's a good chance. I think I, I'd probably lean towards yes that he will. But we don't know that. He might not even know that right now. Uh, but So it's without that information, it's, it's hard to tell. Uh, it's hard to tell what, what is Fromm going to be next year. Is he going to take a big step forward in his sophomore year? Is he going to continue to grow this season? Um, there's just a lot, of, there's a lot of variables there at play. That is, I mean, we can, we can predict and take a guess, but we don't really know. Uh, but I would say it's possible. I mean, and I've, I've had a few questions on Twitter, their social media the past couple of weeks, about should we just redshirt uh, Justin Fields? And my answer to that is, if you think he can help you win, no. You play him now. Justin Fields is not staying five years, is he? He's not staying five years, so why waste a redshirt? If, if you think he can help you win in any way next year, you play him, and you let him help you win football games. Now, if you don't think he's ready to help you win, then you don't play him. You redshirt him. But the dude is not staying five years. He's not staying five years. So a redshirt is just completely wasting a year. It's wasting that talent. Even if he's not going to be the starter, if he's only getting spot duty, even if he's only coming in for a package here and there, but it's a goal line package, whatever it is, if he can help us win, you play him because he's not staying five years unless there's some sort of injury situation. 
All right, next question here is from Paul. It's an interesting question, Paul. I mean, I really like where you're coming from here. So obviously, we got the big game in Florida this weekend in Jacksonville. So Paul asked us to compare Florida to Mississippi State on both sides of the ball. So Kurt, I guess let's start on the Demon side of the ball. How would you compare Florida to Mississippi State? I actually think Mississippi State has the better front seven, in my opinion, than what Florida does have. Um, I think at spots they do. I think, well, yeah, especially up the middle with yeah. Jonathan Simmons and people. Or, yeah, Jeffrey Simmons, yeah. Jeffrey Simmons, yeah. It's like, wait a second. Um, but uh, I have to say, I think the secondaries are very similar. I mean, Florida doesn't have the dominant secondary that they have had in the past. No, they they're, they don't have a Quincy Wilson or Jalen Tabor back there or Vernon Hargrave. They don't have anybody like that. I, I would still say that Florida's secondary is a little bit better. Uh, Henderson's a, he's, he's a true freshman over at cornerback who's played really well for them. Uh, he's not quite at the level of the guys we've seen in the past, but he's he's a solid player. Duke Dawson's a, a, a good player. He's not a, a dominant player, but he's a good player. He plays star for them. Sometimes he'll go out and play outside cornerback, uh, but primarily he's in the star. Chauncey Gardner's a pretty good safety, but, uh, I mean, they're not dominant. You're right, but I, I would say they might be a, still a step above Mississippi State secondary. Is that fair? Yeah, I'm, if I look at the edge, I'd go Florida, but they're not. It's not like it's not head shoulders like they have. Been. Right? Yeah, that's that's you're exactly right. Um, you mentioned Jeffrey Simmons. I think both Florida and Mississippi State have a disruptive player on the interior of the defensive line. Taven Bryan is a guy at Florida who, you know, I I was watching him early in the year. I didn't know quite what to think about him, but he has really come on of late. He's become a disruptive force for them on that defensive line. We'll talk more about him in the preview show. But the, but Mississippi State also has, like you mentioned, Jeffrey Simmons, who's a guy who's been doing that all year long, just completely destroyed LSU. Uh, I think both teams are solid but not great at linebacker. I think it's about, I mean, you got David Reese at Florida and you got Leo Lewis at Mississippi State. Those guys, uh, Leo Lewis might be a little bit more athletic, uh, but I, I think it's pretty much a push across the linebacker board for them. I do think Florida has superior edge rushers. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, when you're looking at guys uh, like Jabari Zuniga, C.C. Jefferson, uh, Polite, uh, Sherritt's out, which, I mean, I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but that kind of helps us there. But they, I think they have better edge rushers, I mean, by a, a pretty wide margin than Mississippi State does. Uh, offensively, though, what do you see? Are there any similarities? Offensively, no. I mean, they. I mean, you'll see Felipe Franks run some, but... Their offensive identity is a lot different. Have you heard the rumors today that Malik Zaire might be seeing some playing time on Saturday? I think that's desperation. I mean, you saw what he tried to do. I welcome that. I say bring it on. Please, please, please play Malik Zaire. Please. He was terrible against Michigan. Please. Um, And, and like, we haven't seen a mobile quarterback have success to see that. Brandon Wimbush right now has – Playing him has really prepared us for any of these teams like that that try to throw a dual threat at us. Yeah, him and Fitzgerald. And we handle both those guys just fine. Just fine. So, please, And that's what I'm saying. I mean – and I think right now, I don't know who has the better receivers. Um, I'd probably give the edge to Florida a little bit. But I think Tyree Cleveland is the best receiver of the bunch on either team. Yeah, he's the better of the bunch, but depth-wise, I don't know. Yeah, depth-wise, uh, Florida yeah. has a better tight end, I will say that. Yeah, Lewis uh, and Julesby uh, both, yeah. Offensively, though, you have seen Mississippi State's offense play better, even though they've gotten blown out by teams like Auburn and uh, Georgia. Their offense still has been better than what Florida has been oh. against certain teams. I mean, uh, their offense against A and M was abysmal. Against LSU, abysmal. Um, any any ranked team or any team with the Pulse, they've been terrible. Florida's offense has put up one game of four hundred plus yards. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it's, that's just what that's just who they are. 
I think I, I think one similarity is that both teams, Florida and Mississippi State, they want to establish the run. But the difference is Franks is not a major part of the run game like Fitzgerald is. Now, maybe if they play Zaire, it'll be a little bit different story. We don't know if that's just smoke and mirrors. We'll see. Um, I also think both Franks and Fitzgerald are still learning how to beat teams with their arms. They're, they're both still very much in the developmental phase of trying to learn how to actually use their arm talent. They both have some arm talent, some ability, but they still have a, a good bit to go in terms of actually being dangerous quarterbacks with their arms. Uh, you mentioned the receivers. I think both teams have smallish wide receivers. I don't think Florida really has anybody that's over 6'2". Uh, Tyree Cleveland's 6'2". I think he's about the biggest receiver they have. They, they both rely on those smaller, quicker wide receivers. So there's some similarities there, but they're not exactly the same. Uh, all right, next question here, also about Florida. This is from Ben. Thanks for the question, Ben. Ben asks, how many tricks will Florida have up their sleeves on Saturday, and will we be prepared to stop them? Kurt, do you expect to see Florida throw all the – the, the whole entire kitchen sink at us? I do because I think they're desperate, but at the same time, it's I think Kirby and his staff realize they're desperate and they're coaching their team to be prepared for that. I think that's the case. Kirby's all about attention to, to details. Yeah, I mean, like you said, everything to him is attention to detail. He's very looking into analytics, all that stuff. So you know, and he knows, you know, how those coaches felt because I think he's been in that position last year. Um, sure. And so I think that they realized it, and he's really, especially the one thing that does help when it comes to trick plays or you know something you know of those long along those lines. Um, the ones that have to be prepared are the secondary, and I think that's actually one of our strengths where we have a lot of experience in the secondary. Especially when we had some coverage busts against Missouri, you know that's we've been able to use that. Our coaches have to get their attention and, and to kind of have some teaching points there. Uh, look, I, I fully expect. I agree with Ben. I, I fully expect that Florida will have uh, quite a few tricks up their sleeve. I, they'll throw the whole kitchen sink at us. They, um, they're going to come out guns blazing. What what that looks like, we don't know. Maybe it's Malik Zaire coming out in some packages. Who knows what it is? But they'll come out with some different things with this bye week. They'll use that to their advantage, I'm sure, especially when they're playing a, a top three team. Uh, so we're going to have to be, to be prepared for that. It's hard to be prepared for everything, but you, what you do is you you simply. You can't prepare for what they're going to do if they haven't unveiled it yet. But what you have to do is you just have to stay true to your principles. You coach on principles and coach on concepts, and the guys have to simply go out there and execute, play with integrity, play with with personal responsibility out there, and just make sure that you are maintaining the principles that you are taught day in and day out at practice. If you do that and you take care of business that way, we'll be just fine. And regardless of knowing what they are, I'm going to throw at, throw at us where they have new packages, where they have different personnel out there, whatever it is, we have some trick plays. If we play with integrity and we go out there and we read our keys and we just play by the principles that we're taught, we'll be fine. We'll be fine. Uh, next one here, number six, question number seven today. Adam asks about Jonathan Ledbetter, man. He says, what could Jonathan Ledbetter do to establish himself as more of a force at defensive end? He's solid, but he hasn't stood out. Curtis, how would you answer that? The thing is, I don't know. I'm not trying to be mean, but do you actually realize what his job is to right. do? Um, He's not a pass you know, rushing specialist. I have, you know, I, you know, I have a connection to people like that on the team um, that you can get some information from. And the biggest thing is, Jonathan Ledbetter knows that his 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 responsibility is not to go out there and make sacks and go up there and make all these tackles all the time. No, his responsibility is to hold the edge because as you have seen 
when he does his job of holding the edge, that's why you're seeing Roquan and our linebackers make so many tackles because they're able to come in there when he forces things inside, doesn't allow people to get out the outside. He's allowing the linebackers to come in there and clean it up, and that's what his job is to do. So he's not going to go out there and make the most pretty plays and jump off the page at you right away, but to the people that you know actually know what he's supposed to be doing and the scouts like that, they're looking for someone to do that in the, in, you know, the next level and everything, he's doing exactly what's asked of him. That's exactly how I answer the question, my friend. Um, and I, I completely respect you, Adam. I, I mean, you're, if you're looking at stack numbers, you're right. He hasn't put up those kind of numbers. But I think you have to consider like what Curtis was saying, his position and what he's asked to do. I think based on what he's asked to do, he's had an outstanding year. I think he, he's done everything he's asked to do. I mean, not perfectly. No one does it perfectly. But he's been outstanding at, at playing how he's asked to play and doing what he's asked to do for this football team. Uh, and look, you're exactly right, Kurt. I mean, I, I think when you say, will he be able to establish himself as more of a force defensive end? I think you have to differentiate between a four three defensive end and a three four defensive end. And a three four, the defensive end is basically like the equivalent of a defensive tackle, a little bit lighter defensive tackle in the four three. His job is to take on blockers, eat them up, and more than anything, to set the edge, to set the edge. And he's done that to a T. Now, when we move him inside on obvious passing downs. And get him over a guard, get him mashed up on a guard. That's when we're trying to use him as a pass rusher. Outside of those situations, anything that we get from him as from the from a pass rush perspective, that's just gravy. That's not what he's asked to do on a down in down out basis. Now there are times when we have the cheetah package where we want to get some quickness on the field in obvious passing situations where he slides down head up on a guard to get mashed up on a guy who's not as great of a blocker. We wanted a speed rush there, and uh, now and he and from those looks. I, he, I think he only has one sack on the year, but from those looks, he has affected the quarterback. It might not show up on the stat sheet, but he has affected the quarterback plenty of times from those looks. But all in all, I think he's done an excellent job at what he's been asked to do. But that's just my take. I'm not going to be completely wrong here. I think it's just depending on what you're looking for him to do. I think the coaches are looking for him to do a certain thing, and he's doing that very well. That, I mean, and you could, that's in, in, indicated by how much playing time he's seeing. I know we've had some injuries on the defensive line, but he's playing about 75 to 80% of our snaps because he's doing what he's asked to do. And he's doing it very, very well, in my opinion. I'm with you on that, Kurt. Uh, next one here is from Jermaine. Jermaine, thanks for the question, bud. Jermaine asked, with our recent commitment of Adam Anderson last Thursday, who would you compare Adam Anderson to in the NFL or in college football right now? Kurt, is there someone that jumps out to you? Adam Anderson? Yeah. Um who do you compare him to? I mean, to? right now, you still got to stick to the Leonard Floyd, really. Yeah, and I know that's easy, right? Because, you know, he was here recently. But that's recently. the same type body type they yeah. have. I mean, he's very flexible. Um, He's quick off the ball. He's, and he's got great speed in general. Um, You know, the real real question will be, will he be able to do what Leonard Floyd couldn't do and sustain weight? Sustain weight and consistently set the edge against the run, like Jonathan Lebeter has been doing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I know that's the easy answer, but just because the easy answer does not mean it's the wrong answer. I think it's, if you look at body types, absolutely, he looks like Leonard Floyd. If you look at uh, first step quickness, he looks a lot like Leonard Floyd. If you look at the link, looks a lot like Leonard Floyd. So there's a lot of Leonard Floyd to his game. I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Leonard Floyd, although I do think Adam Anderson is the best pure pass rusher in this class. Now, he's got to add some weight for sure, but he's got the frame to do it. Just got to see if he can actually do it and, like you said, keep that weight on. But I think from a... From a skill set perspective, I think he has the skills to be the best pass rusher in this class, and I'm thrilled that he jumped back on board. But I think you're right. I think it's easy, but it's correct that Leonard Floyd is the guy that you would that he most or he would compare best to right now. Uh, all right, next question here from Hunter. Hunter, thanks for the question, man. Hunter asks, after what we saw early against Missouri, is our pass coverage something to be worried about moving forward? Kurt, what do you think? 
Honestly, no. I mean, I think we made the mistakes, but the guys weren't doing what you know the coach had told them to do. But the thing was that after those two big plays, it was cleaned up, and that didn't happen the rest of the game. And I mean, at the same time, you also have to look at who we were playing. We we're looking at a team that tried. That's that's their main goal is just to make the big plays happen, throw it deep down the field. And they're going to miss quite a few, but they're also going to hit one or two, like you saw happen. I mean, yeah. against the other teams who really haven't been giving up the big play because that's not their style of play. But that is Missouri. They're going to take as many shots as they can. Yeah, and I'll go back. To, you're exactly right on all that. And I'll go back to what I said on the recap show after the Missouri game. If you go back and look at the three biggest pass plays that hit, all three for touchdowns, two of them the 60-plus yard touchdowns to Emmanuel Hall, none of them, of the three, not one of them was a physical deficiency where we just got beat because a guy was better than us. They were all three mental mistakes. They were blown coverages, okay? And, and the, one of them was Tyreek McGee. One of them was uh, Jawan Taylor at linebacker. Uh, one of them was J.R. Reed. So it was three different guys that on three different plays just blew coverage and didn't do what they were supposed to do. Those are things you can fix. You can't always fix the physical deficiency. So like I said earlier, those, those are teaching points for the coaches to be able to, to get the attention of those guys. Like, you know what? You're not as good as you think you are right now. You still have a lot to work on. And I imagine with the off week, we were able to shore a lot of that up. Uh, you can never, you're going to give us some plays here and there, but hopefully we won't see blown coverage like that. And again, I, I'm more encouraged that it wasn't a physical thing. I'm much more encouraged that it was a, a mental mistake. If you, if you really go back and watch it, you can, you'll see it. But Because uh, those are things you can fix. The physical things, you, you can't just become physically better overnight. Mentally, you can fix that. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking, I mean, I'm not going to say we're going to be perfect against the pass down the stretch, but I, I'm not, I'm not going to look at that Missouri game and say that's indicative of what we're going to see moving forward. All right, we got a couple questions left, man. So we got, we're going to go rapid fire here. Uh, we got next question here is from B for Real. I like this question a lot. Kurt, you and I have talked about this quite a few times off the air. Uh, B for Real asks if Mel Tucker gets lured away this year, do you agree that Kirby brought in Glenn Schumann to groom as his Kirby to save him? I mean, that's that's. No question. I mean, who was his very first hire? Glenn Schumann. I mean, yeah. that's that's pretty much his boy. I mean, that's who he's. I mean, he feels like. I and th- I think he's actually closer to Schumann than Kirby was to Saban because he pretty much found Schumann in college as a you know student assistant. And then he becomes a graduate assistant. And he's worked his way up. So I mean, he's developed a relationship with this kid from the beginning. So I mean, he. I think he's he's really tried to teach him to. I mean, he knows what Kirby wants. He knows how to recruit, and I mean that. I mean, it's obvious that that's their heir apparent. I mean, it, I don't know if it happens this year because he's still a little young, but he's no doubt the heir apparent to become. The yeah, DC. I think at some point it's going to happen, and uh, well, it's just a matter of when, really. How long Mel Tucker stays here, and if if Kirby feels Schumann's ready at a young age after only being a position coach for two years, if, if Tucker leaves this year, you don't know those things. But and I know it was. We'll repeat what was said when we when we first hired Glenn Schumann. Back at Alabama, when they were putting together their initial defensive game plans for every game, there were three guys in that room, right? Saban, Kirby, and Glenn Schumann, right? So I, I mean, think like you could say like those players that all the Alabama players are getting drafted in the first round. They would openly talk about how they were having when they had trouble understanding the system. Who did they go see? They went and saw Schumann because he's a great teacher. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I agree. Yeah, I think he's a Kirby to. to I think he's the Kirby to Saban. I think that's how it'll be for real. Yeah, I see Kirby to Saban. Yes, I think that is the case. All right, rapid fire, rapid fire. Uh, let's see which one we're going to next. Landis, appreciate the question, man. Landis asks, we all love Swift and how dynamic he has been, but is ball security with him beginning to be a concern? Kurt, yes or no? You concerned about uh, that? It is a little bit. I have to say, you know, it, you see it happen a lot for freshmen, but you just hope it doesn't happen at the wrong time. Yeah, uh, he's fallen I think, two times this year, at least two at the top of my head. And he's a freshman. You learn these things. 
Um, I, w- I would say this. I'm not not concerned about it. It hasn't been an epidemic yet, but it's something to keep an eye on for sure. Uh, next one here, also about coaches. Carl asks, with our success so far this season, I'm starting to hear some rumblings about some of our coaches being candidates for other jobs. Do we lose any coaches after this season? If so, who? Real quick, or who do you, who do you think might be gone? Um, in my opinion, I think you're going to see Sharer go. Um, right now, I think that the thing with Del McGee is this is only his second year as a position coach. So, I mean, it's not – you don't really know. I don't think teams are ready exactly to make him an offensive coordinator because he doesn't really have enough of a track record. Yeah, he's a great recruiter, but you don't know what kind of offense he's going to bring in Mel Tucker. Um, he's not going to go for just any job. And I think that's what's going to be the difference. It would have to actually be a really good job. I mean, his name was floated around places like Georgia State and places like that. But that's not a good. That was not a good enough job to, to lure him away. I mean, you got to think some of these smaller schools that would want someone like that. I mean, we can pay him more than they can their head coach. Yeah, and Sharer, if you guys haven't paid attention, there's rumors, and right now all it is is rumors because Charles Kelly still the coordinator at Florida State. But there's rumors that he's gone, and they haven't been very good this year. So I can believe that. Florida State fans are not happy with him. And rumors that Sharon might be the guy to replace him. Uh, so that could be a possibility. Del McGee's been rumored. I mean, his name's connected to the Georgia Southern job. Although I don't know if – I mean, I know he. it's a step up to take a head coaching job. But Georgia Southern's a triple option. Off that, that, That's who their boosters want. Okay? They want a guy who runs the triple option. If you don't run that triple option, they're going to more or less be against you there. And I don't know if you get hired if you don't run the triple option. And then if, But if you go there and run the triple option, that limits your opportunities – to, to get ever get out of there because you're kind of associated with a triple option. Not every team, want, not every program, or not many programs want a triple option type coach. So I don't know if that's the best opportunity for him. I think if he wait a little bit longer, he might get a better job. James Coley's a former offensive coordinator, so if we have a really good season, you might see him try to jump an offensive coordinator job somewhere down the line. So just a couple of names to look out for. That that comes with success, guys. It's, it's Success is a gift and a curse. And that's the thing. With like McGee, I think the biggest thing is um, – yeah, like you said, you have to look at what's the stepping stone for him. Um, and, and not only that, but it's just going to take a while for these things to happen. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll just have to see how it plays out. I mean, you you lose coaches, guys. Assistant coaches, the vast majority of them want to move on and move I mean, up and move on. let's be honest, a lot of these Georgia fans were freaking out when Thomas Brown decided to leave and go join Rick after all right. when we thought he was going to stay. And that turned Everyone out Everyone was just freaking out, but who does Kirby go yeah. find someone that can recruit like Del McGee? I mean, I have faith in him, but yeah. he has a lot of great coaching connections. Yeah, let me just, I'll leave it at this. Trust in Kirby. Trust in Kirby and you'll be fine. Trust I mean, in yeah, Kirby. That's Trust all you can Kirby. do. All right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UGA podcast. Sorry to kind of check out a little bit early here, Daniel. This is a little bit of an abbreviated version of the show, uh, but we want to bring you at least some content here. Unfortunately, I had a few personal things to take care of today with our, with our recording schedule. It's the only time that Curtis and I had uh, some free time. We both had a window of free time here today, so we try to get in as much as we could. We will be back on Thursday with our full breakdown of the Georgia-Florida game. We'll go as in detail as we possibly can and give you guys everything you need to know about that. And I've had an extra, extra week here with the bye week to dig into this Florida football team and go back and watch each and every one of their games a couple times and really get a good feel for this team. So we will have all that for you guys on Thursday. Make sure to check back with us. Uh, thanks to all of you who sent in questions. We really do appreciate it. If we did not get to your question, uh, we'll save it for next week or we will hit you up on Twitter and make sure we get a response to you out there because I really do hate to leave you guys hanging. But uh, thanks for listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, guys, go dogs.